We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. Well, what an absolute tire fire this is turning into. If you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills, and I suppose Buffalo Sabres as well, this was supposed to be the year where the Bills finally get over the hump and where the Buffalo Sabres take that next step and finally get into the playoffs. And I'm going to tell you right now, we are eight days or so away from Thanksgiving. Fucking Santa Claus hasn't even appeared at the Macy's Day Thanksgiving parade yet. And the Buffalo Bills season is all but a wrap and a very big blow to the Buffalo Sabres chances of making the playoffs happen here on Tuesday night. Just an absolute disaster. But I guess the bright side, if this is what you wanted anyway, the Buffalo Bills fired Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator, on Tuesday morning. I know a lot of people out there pretty happy about that. I kind of got some mixed feelings. I'm going to share what I think about the firing, what I think about Ken Dorsey, and talk about some of the things deeper than just Ken Dorsey that make me feel that maybe to at least to some extent anyway, Ken Dorsey is a scapegoat for some of the bigger issues that are plaguing the Buffalo Bills in 2023. We're going to do that today on Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much as always for locking in, whether you're listening to this on the audio side, wherever you get your podcast, or whether you're checking us out today on the video side on YouTube. Appreciate you all very, very much. Thank you. If you have not yet already done this, please make sure that you subscribe, uh, that you like, you comment on the video side or that you're following or subscribe on uh, the audio side. It really helps us continue to grow this show. So anyway, man, holy shit. What a, what, what a couple days when it comes to Buffalo sports. And I don't mean that in a good way. And I got to tell you, we're going to spend 99% of this podcast talking about Ken Dorsey, the Buffalo Bills a demoralizing, humiliating, embarrassing, you pick the freaking adjective, I don't care, loss at home at Monday night football to the Denver Broncos. The season is now on the brink for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, real quick, before we even get into that, though, if that shit wasn't bad enough, 
If that wasn't bad enough, I got to tell you this. So on early, and I'm taping this late Tuesday night post uh, Buffalo Sabres, Boston Bruins game. I was up really, really late for Monday Night Football. Did a podcast, a live show afterwards. By the time I got some editing done, got everything up, got a couple clips together, did all the other stuff that I do that's associated with the podcast. Did not go to bed until like 3.30, almost 4 o'clock in the morning. And I was up early on Tuesday. Kind of had a uh, pretty good hunch that Ken Dorsey was going to get fired. In fact, on my Facebook, I think it might have been like 2.30 in the morning, I had posted about that saying, I think there's a reasonable chance that could happen. I mean, the tea leaves were there. If you were paying attention to Sean McDermott's presser on Monday night, uh, the tea leaves were there. And sure enough, it happened. But anyway, my point was this. Tired as hell. And it got to be around dinner time on Tuesday. And I finally just crashed on the couch. Took a good hour, maybe an hour and 10 minute nap. Woke up just in time to watch the Sabres game. Kyle Arposo's 1,000th game. Pretty cool ceremony. Game starts. Less than five minutes in. It's already 2 nothing Boston. Gage Thompson goes out with a lower body injury. I think it was his ankle or something like that. I said, you know what? I'm not doing this to myself, man. Turned the game off, followed the rest of it on Twitter, and then it's 3 nothing, and then it's 4 nothing, and then it's 5 nothing. Buffalo ends up losing 5-2. Victor Olofsson scores both goals for Buffalo, which really sucks because now we'll probably be in the lineup and stay in Buffalo for the next three months. But the worst part, who gives a shit about the game? I mean, they're playing the Boston Bruins, and there's nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to that team coming into town. And whooping your ass. But Tate Thompson returns to the game and then gets in with a puck. And from what I'm reading and understanding right now, he's going to be out. It says significant time he's going to miss. Unfortunately, significant time. Looks like it might be a broken wrist. It's something significant. And the significant thing about that is the Buffalo Sabres are going nowhere. They might be going nowhere with Tate Thompson. They are going nowhere and nowhere fast without Tate Thompson for any prolonged uh, length of time. I mean, this bottom six right now as it is sucks. And now you just lost your best player, your best score, your most highly skilled offensive player for several weeks. Like I said, in my wildest dreams, I never thought going into the fall of 2023 that the Buffalo Bills would pretty much be out of a playoff race. I don't say a playoff race. Certainly, they're out of being a Super Bowl contender right now. And now the Buffalo Sabres look like they're going to sink in the standings and we're not even at Thanksgiving yet. It is just demoralizing. I feel right now like if you watch Rocky 3, the beach scene when Rocky's um, talking to, to Adrian, and this is before the big inspirational speech, and he's talking to her and he says, I know, all this stuff is so good, it's so bad. That is the worst fucking impression ever. But you get my point. That's how I feel right now about Buffalo sports. It's just unbelievable. Um, so yeah, Ken Dorsey gets the ax uh, on Tuesday. Uh, th this is what I think. I, I feel like in terms of his firing itself, at least some of Ken Dorsey's unemployment, because that's what he is, at least for now anyway, uh, I feel like it falls pretty heavy on the shoulders of his quarterback, Josh Allen. And we'll talk about him specifically more in just a couple minutes here, but I get it. I'm not bad about the firing. And I'm not saying that firing Ken Dorsey wasn't the right move that it wasn't deserved because I, I do, I, I feel like it had to happen. 
The ironic thing is, and I tweeted about this during the game on Monday night, this felt to me like one of the games where he coordinated one of his least fireable offenses. I thought he was pretty good. I really don't put much of this game at all on him on Monday night, but I get it. The offense just is not clicking. There's just a lot of things going on. And a lot of things that are wrong on this offense throughout the season, not just Monday night, it's lacked creativity. It has lacked any sense of surprise, any element of unpredictability. Uh, and that is on your offensive coordinator. That is on Ken Dorsey. The Bills are a very easy team to defend. And we see countless, countless analysts, whether the local, whether the local content creators, whether the local media, whether they're national media, guys at ESPN, they can't all be wrong. They all say the same thing. The Bills are a very easy team to defend. They don't show you a lot. They don't do a lot. We talked about on the show a couple of days ago with Tom Pucks, uh, an excellent article last week by Tim Graham from The Athletic, talking about how the Bills just don't seem to do anything, whether it's pre-snap motion, the reverses. They tried one flea flicker this year. It was a, a pretty laughable result. But, you know, the tight ends, the receivers used to throw passes. The, the offensive line used to catch passes in the red zone. There's just no form of suspense and a surprise when it comes to this offense. It's been that way. Uh, for a long time. You know, you go back to last year. And if you guys remember the Minnesota Vikings game when, when the Bills blew what, a, a three-score lead in the second half. And in overtime, the game ended when Josh Allen threw an interception in, his, in the end zone to Patrick Peterson. And I remember Patrick Peterson the next week being on a podcast, and he talked about it very openly. He was guarding Gabe Davis. And he basically said that the Bills have Gabe Davis. He basically runs two routes. And when he didn't do one, he knew he was doing the other. So it was an easy interception for him. It's just stuff like that. This offense just lacked any, uh, like I said, any any vision, any imagination, stuff like that. Um, and then you look at the production. You know, you can be the most boring team in the world. You can be the 85 Bears offense. You can be the, the 2000 Ravens offense. But you better be productive. And that's the thing. DVOA. EPA, the Bills still look really good in all those metrics. But you know where they don't look good on? The scoreboard. Points, especially the first half. And it happened again on Monday night. 42 points they've scored in the last six first halves combined. That's seven points a game for a stretch of six weeks. That's just unacceptable. And some of these games... The defense, and I got a lot to say about Sean McDermott in just a minute here. But the defense, considering the injuries, and before the injuries especially, has been, for the most part, solid to very, very good. Look at it this way. The Buffalo Bills are 5-5 five and five right now, and it feels like they're toast. I think they are toast. In fact, I'm confident that this season is toast. But. You look at two games specifically. Last night against the Cincinnati, or not the Cincinnati Bengals, I'm sorry, against the Denver Broncos. And then week one against the New York Jets offense that lost Aaron Rodgers on the first drive of the game and had to have Zach Wilson, who obviously was taking no first team snaps, no reps, has to come into the game cold. Those are the kind of games offensively 
all the Buffalo Bills had to do was not fucking blow it. That's it. You don't have to be creative and imaginative, and you don't got to put 35 points on the board. All you got to do is not blow the game. And by not blow the game, I'll be even more simple for you folks. Don't turn the ball over four fucking times. And they've done that twice against two terrible offenses. And they lost both games directly because of that. And yes, players execute. But again, especially against the Broncos on Monday night, four turnovers. And then you look at the running game. Latavius Murray and James Cook, once he got done sitting out for 18 fucking plays because he fumbled on the first play of the game, which, by the way, was an outstanding play by the Denver defender. It's not like James Cook just dropped the ball. He had it ripped out, and he shouldn't have had it ripped out. And I've said it. like I said on yesterday's show, I ain't got no problem with him taking a little bit of seat on the pine, thinking about what you did and coming in stronger. But a quarter and a half, he didn't touch the ball again. Didn't even get on the field again for like four or five drives after that. Unacceptable. But anyway, Murray, Cook, they're running the ball down Denver's throat. And you know why? Because their run defense fucking sucks. The worst in the league. That should have been the game plan for four quarters. The Bills ran the ball 26 times. The Bills should have ran the ball 40 times because Denver was not stopping them. Sickening game plan when it comes to that with Ken Dorsey. Again, I don't have no problem with Ken Dorsey being fired. I've been plenty mad at Ken Dorsey this year for a lot of things. If anything, this was overdue. I get it. But it's not just him. This ain't going to make the problems go away. I know there might be some Bills fans right now that are saying, all right, well, you got rid of the biggest problem. Which I'm not sure I even agree with that, but you got rid of the biggest problem and things are just going to magically turn around. I mean, you're looking like shit against the Broncos, against the Jets, against the Patriots, against the freaking New York Giants. You think you're going to turn that shit around when you're playing the Jets again? Who's the best defense in the NFL? In Philly, in Kansas City, in Dallas? Come on, man. So anyway, Ken Dorsey's out. And uh, Joe Brady is the offensive coordinator. He was the quarterback coach. So he's the interim offensive coordinator. Gets a promotion. I have no takes on him at all right now because I don't know much about him at all. I do know that he was the OC and passing game coordinator at LSU a couple of years ago when they won the national championship. Not to be skeptical, but I'm going to be honest with you folks. Your fucking eye could have been the offensive coordinator for LSU and won a national championship and look good doing it when your quarterback's Joe Burrow and you're throwing a Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. I mean, come on. <laughs> anyway. Uh, maybe the change, just like in baseball sometimes or in hockey, when you when you fire the head coach, you kind of it gives you a boost. It gives you a little more energy because this is a very low energy football team. We all know that. We all see it every week. So maybe this will give the offense a little pep in their step, a little more confidence. I don't know. They had to do something. So I get it. I got no problem with Ken Dorsey getting fired. I go back to last night's show. I I, I have a big problem with Sean McDermott basically throwing his coach under the bus like he did on Monday night and like he did with the players uh, the week before when they got beat up significantly by uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, General, you know, I I, got to tell you, 
Last night's show was tough to do. I, I said at the beginning of last night's show, I've been doing this podcast now for five and a half years, 660-something episodes, been covering the Bills since 2018, although, you know, some of their tougher losses, like 13 seconds, the Bengals playoff game last year, uh, the Hail Mary game in 2020 against Arizona, stuff like that. I wasn't doing a Monday show, so it wasn't an everyday podcast. So I had time to kind of process things sleep on things. Like for example, right now, today, I'm, I'm taping this late on Tuesday night. The game was 24 hours ago. I feel like for the most part, anyway, a little bit more uh, cool, calm, collective, a little bit measured and thinking things out when I'm seeing them as opposed to, you know, going in the heat of the moment like I did last night. Totally on the fly, no prep, no show notes. In fact, I went live on YouTube and on Facebook and on Twitter. I just hit that button and started talking, no structure whatsoever. And whatever came out of my mouth, that's what it was. Uh, that's what it was going to be. Not quite the same uh, with this episode, but just generally speaking, I got to be honest with you. I never, and this is on me, and this the way this team's played this year, I shouldn't have had this mindset, but I don't think I spent five seconds, literally five seconds, the entire week leading up to the game. The, the day of the game, the night of the game, I'm talking about this uh, Broncos game last night or Monday night. Even in the first half, at the end of the first half, I never thought the Bills could lose that game. I didn't think it was going to happen. <laughs> Just not even the tiniest part of me. I had a preview uh, last week with Anthony Marino leading into the game. And I was talking about how Denver, you know, sleep on them too much. They've won two in a row. They beat the Chiefs. They played the Chiefs tough the first time they played them. And they're on a bye. They got a lot of momentum going. Nothing to worry about, though, with this team. Or, you know, I, I, I was lying. That's basically what I'm telling you. I was lying. I was like, yeah, you know, this team, you better be careful. Don't sleep on them. Oh, fuck that. I never thought for a second that the Denver Broncos were going to come into Buffalo on Monday Night Football and beat the Buffalo Bills. And that's exactly what they did. So I was rattled then, still a little bit rattled now. Not going to lie about it. Um, I got, when it comes to Sean McDermott, one, one other thing too, then I'm going to take a break, then I want to hit on Sean McDermott here. I spent um, some of Tuesday afternoon talking to Benjamin Albright, a very good uh, media person in Denver who covers the Broncos, very well known, not just in Denver, but around the country, an NFL insider. And I asked him, I said, how surprising are you, was this um, outcome to you? And he told me, quite frankly, it wasn't that surprising to people in Denver. You know, nobody picked Denver to beat the Bills, of course, in Buffalo or any of the national outlets or the TV shows, stuff like that. But he said on the radio that Ben picked and so did his partner. They both picked the Broncos to beat the Bills and that they weren't that surprised that the Bills are just, say, a beatable team and that Denver is playing some good football. I will give them some credit, at least on the defensive side. I mean, they forced four turnovers. So, you know, you got to give a little bit of credit where it's due. But it's this was surprising and shocking on the Buffalo side. But from what Ben says and some other people, not so much on that side. I want to take a real quick break because we talked about Ken Dorsey getting fired. We, you don't have to be a, a, a football person and be too smart to understand why. We all know why. I think we all accept it. Uh, I think for a lot of people, you wanted this to happen. You didn't want to wait any longer. You didn't want to wait until after the season. I get it. Now I got time to evaluate the offense without him. Maybe we'll start to learn more 
albeit against tougher competition coming up, if he really was truly the problem or if it goes a lot deeper than that, personally, I think he's part of the problem, but I think it does go deeper than that. And now right after this break, starting with the head coach, who I'm still really, really pissed off about, uh, we'll spend a couple of minutes talking about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back talking about Ken Dorsey getting fired and some of the other elements about this team that makes me think to at least some extent Ken Dorsey is also a, a scapegoat. Before that, real quick, at the top of the show, I spent just a couple of minutes talking about the Buffalo Sabres. Want to let you know that Thursday night, live from Imperial Pizza, Chad D. Diminicis. I was going to make sure I got to say his name right, man. My guy, Chad D. Diminicis, is going to be joining me uh, from Expected Buffalo, one of the best hockey guys in the Buffalo market, period. I'm big fan of this guy. He's been on the show a couple of times. I love his work, love his social media presence. Love having him on the show. So what he knows plenty about football too. So we'll talk some Bills and we'll talk some Sabres. What the hell this team's going to do. Again, just like yesterday's loss with uh, the Bills, kind of processing the thought of no Tate Thompson on the fly here. But anyway, I'll talk about that with Chad. Uh, tomorrow's show, I think we're going to have our weekly All-22 film review slash PFF grades analysis from this game. I really want to move on from this game so fucking bad right now. I'm not going to lie to you, but that's what we do every week. This is going to be a day later, though, because the Bills game this week was on a uh, a Monday night. But anyway, all right, beyond Ken Dorsey, man, I got a couple general thoughts that, that I jotted down, and I wanted to make sure I shared with you uh, the audience today. Um, Sean McDermott, to me, this is the biggest problem. I, I feel like he could lose his team right now. If he hasn't lost his team already, I think he could lose it. I think he could lose that locker room. Um, I reference it a few minutes ago, talked about a little more in detail on yesterday's show, heat of the moment kind of deal. Um, I thought his press conference following the Denver loss on Monday night was stunning and not in a good way. I mean, he blamed the offense over and over, called out the turnovers, um, called out special teams and how they practice it during the week, things like that. And he went out of his way more than I've seen to, to, just profusely praise his defense and mention specifically how they were down five guys and still played great. And it's not that what he said is wrong. So let's be clear about that. Technically, Sean McDermott blasting the turnovers, 
blasting the offense, blasting the lack of execution, blasting the special teams, saying that they practiced, you know, exactly that scenario that happened at the end of the football game. He literally said they practiced it during the week. Um, talking about some guys on the defense being out, talking about the defense playing pretty well. It's not that he was wrong about any of that shit. My issue with him, and this is what makes me think that if players aren't already starting to turn on him, I think it's coming. I really do. Is he has thrown him under the bus. You, me, other content creators and fans and media and TV people, we're the ones who should be throwing Ken Dorsey under the bus or Josh Allen under the bus or the offense under the bus or the special teams under the bus, not the head coach. His tone, by the way, he had a Tuesday presser um, hours after Ken Dorsey was fired, kind of explaining that very vanilla press conference. But he said how it all starts with him and he's the leader. He didn't say any of that shit after the Broncos game. He said none of it. He pretty much went to right to finger pointing. In fact, the promo that I put out for Tuesday morning's podcast, the promo, I called him Sean uh, McFinger Pointer. Because <laughs> that's what he did. He pointed fucking fingers. And this has been going on more and more. And it's something that I'm noticing with Sean McDermott calling out his uh, his players and his staff, maybe not naming players specifically, but you know damn well who he's talking about, and he's not leaving much to the imagination. I, I feel like this could be uh this could be a locker room that's getting lost. I'll say this too. I talked to a former player on Tuesday. Uh, the only thing I'll say is it's a non-current Buffalo Bill player who is active in the NFL, does not play for the, uh, the Buffalo Bills, but he told me that he thinks the Buffalo Bills team has the lowest energy that he's seen from them in seven years since Sean McDermott took over. That this is just a low energy team right now that's not playing with any enthusiasm and that just looks like it's going through the motions. And to me, when you're flat, when you have low energy, when you look like you're not ready to play, I've always said it. I don't care if it's the NFL, college, high school, little loop, that's on coaching. I think it's the coach's job to get those players motivated and ready to play. And it's just not happening. And we're seeing it in the first half, especially with the offense. So I, I think that uh, this is a locker room that is in danger of having a serious disconnect between coach and, and between player. And look, we already know Sean McDermott has a pretty uh, mixed bag when it comes to the history of working alongside his coordinators. You know, Leslie Frazier didn't get fired officially, but we all goddamn know well that Sean McDermott got rid of him, just didn't want to actually fire him and waited until February and, and they moved on mutually and he took a year off or whatever. You all know what's up with Brian Dable. You saw it after the Giants game. Didn't want to shake Sean's hand. So this guy's had some shaky relationship. Chad All, the receiver coach, takes a lateral job. 13 seconds a couple of years ago, that coach ends up uh, Heath Farrell is gone after that. He doesn't come back. So you know about his history already with the coaches. And I'm starting to think that there's some players out there, uh, Stephon Diggs certainly being one of them, although he's not vocally anyway, uh, you know, illustrating any of his unhappiness like he did during the offseason, at least not now. But you know, you know that's on the back burner. Um, so, yeah, I have a problem with that. And in terms of him, just praising the defense as much as he has. I got it. You know, we got to factor in the injuries. You've lost studs. 
Uh, Micah Hyde did not play on Monday night. That mattered. Uh, Christian Benford didn't play, although Russell Douglas started his place, and I think, quite frankly, is a better corner anyway. So you're not losing anything there. But anyway, injuries are a factor. I get all that. But, you know, instead of just sitting there post-game and, and blasting your, your offense and blasting the turnovers and blasting your special teams, maybe you should blast your own job coaching the defense a little bit, at least down the stretch. Because, sure, you can say the defense played pretty damn well. But you know what the defense is not doing? They didn't do it on Monday, and they haven't done it for a lot of the season. They're not closing out games. So maybe Sean should spend some time talking about a defense that he runs that's not coaching, uh, that's not closing out games. You look to this game against Denver. Again, yes, Buffalo played really good defense for a lot of the game. A lot of credit should be due that the Bills offense is playing well, even decent. This isn't even a conversation, but the bottom line is they weren't. But the Bills still took the lead with a minute 58 left in the game. Denver's offense, who did struggle against the good Bills defense for most of this night, their last two drives, a 12-play touchdown drive and a 10-play field goal drive. So, and again, that was after the Bills took a lead with under two minutes left. So that defense failed to close out that game. You go to the Tampa game. They're up two touchdowns late. 17-play, 92-yard touchdown drive, aided by two really stupid, or at least one really dumb, Defensive penalty by Jordan Phillips and a defensive hole by uh, Teron Johnson. It could have went familiar theme, by the way, but could have went either way. But anyway, bottom line is this. Tampa Bay Buccaneers took the ball, 17 plays, 92 yards. They cut the lead down to six, got the ball back. And quite frankly, if Chris Godwin looks up, the Buffalo Bills lose that football game. That Hail Mary should have been completed. You know it, and I know it. So they didn't close that game out very well either. You go to the New England game. Again, past the offense. They played like shit for a lot of the game. But you know what? They took a lead late. Josh Allen scored two straight touchdown drives, and the Bills' offense comes through, and they take a lead. And the Bills' defense has a chance to close the game out. What happens? The New England Patriots get the ball, and we're thinking, you know, worst case, the Patriots might move the ball enough to get a field goal and send it to overtime. Well, nah. The Patriots get the ball, eight plays, 75 yards, Touchdown, bam, New England wins 29-25. So you didn't close out the Denver game. You, you got lucky to close out the Tampa game. You didn't close out the New England game. Uh, the week before the Giants game, they're protected a 14-9 lead. There's a buck 25 left in the game. Giants get the ball, 13 plays, 56 yards, get down to the goal line, and we saw how the game ended. Teron Johnson got away with a penalty in the end zone on Darren Waller. No flags thrown. If that flag's thrown, very good chance that the Bills lose that game either. So they barely, if you want to say they close it out technically, I guess you're right. But you get my point. Sean McDermott's talking a lot of shit about a defense while blasting other areas of his team. But it's a defense, shorthanded or not, that's not closing out games. So maybe he should start criticizing himself a little bit more in the heat of the moment after the game, not the next day or the day after. And that pissed me off. <laughs> Calm down for a second here, man. That was quite the uh, quite the fucking tangent. Um, look, this is my notes, too. We found this out in 2021. We found out in Kansas City. It has been confirmed several times. Sean McDermott just freezes in big moments. When the game is late and on the line, whether they're trying to score, whether they're trying to protect the lead, it just seems the Bills find a way to freeze with terrible decisions. 
I'm not going to torture you and go over 13 seconds yet again. You already know how it played out. And you already know that the head coach at the end of the day is responsible. You use not one, but two timeouts. And you go right back to a prevent defense. And you just hand Kansas City a free three points. You go to the Cincy, was it the Cincy game? What, what game was it just recently where a first down pass to Trent Sherfield looked like it might have been a catch. It was ruled incomplete. And Sean McDermott just idiotically throws a challenge flag and burns what mattered. It was a Cincy game. A timeout on a first down play that even if it's ruled a catch, it was only for about eight and a half yards. I mean, what are, you, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And we see it all the time when it's challenges. But you go back, let's just, you know, let's wipe all that shit out. Let's just talk about the end of Monday's game, that last drive. It's second and four, and Denver has the ball on the 39-yard line, and they're already, like, on that brink of field goal range. you got to get a play, and you're trying to drop something. Which, by the way, I can't believe Denver didn't just try to run the ball. But anyway, you want to dial up a blitz. Your goal is to sack Russell Wilson. Troy Aikman literally said before the snap, the one thing Russell Wilson can't do is take a snap or a sack. Well, they bring a house blitz, man. They bring the house and they sack Russ Wilson. I'm going crazy. You're going crazy, I'm sure, watching the game. And all of a sudden, from second and forward at the 39, it's third and 10 from the 45-yard line, and they're not in field goal range. It's third and 10. All game long, if you paid attention, the Bills got pretty good pressure from rushing four. In fact, in the first half, one of the things I was losing my mind about when it came to this defense was how many times they should have had Russell Wilson down or sack and he avoided. I think I counted five times just in the first half alone. Anyway, so it's third and 10. You just, you want to make sure they don't get a first down. Anything else, they're going forward on fourth down, obviously, because it's, again, it's too far for a field goal. And what does he do? He brings the house again. A seven-man blitz, and Russ Wilson just lobs it up. A significant underthrow. And Teron Johnson, who, you know, he got beat on the play by Judy. I can't blame him for the pass interference because, again, what are you going to do when, when it's an underthrow like that? It's hard to really be able to turn around when the other guy's five yards in front of you. But that's the thing, man. He got smoked right off the line. You watch the film, and he just stood there and waited for Jerry Judy. I think maybe he thought he'd be a hot read, but Judy just kept running. Russell Wilson lobbed it up a low percentage pass most of the time, and it becomes a critical game-changing, uh, game-altering pass interference penalty on Tehran. But my point is this. Why the fuck are you blitzing? Why are you bringing the, the house? The only success Russell Wilson really had all day, all night, I should say, against the Bills is when they blitz. The blitz wasn't working, or he would have success when they would rush three in the second half anyway, I think they had nine stats where Dorian Williams actually was the fourth lineman, but the only thing he was tasked with was making sure Russell Wilson didn't run. He was like kind of a spy, but he got froze a couple time, times by the running back. That didn't work out. But anyway, you got Rizzo getting home. You got A.J. Vanessa getting home. Ed Oliver was in the backfield all night. You didn't need to blitz. Keep guys back in coverage. Russell Wilson was not throwing the ball very well especially if it was more than five yards or so down the field, minus a couple of really good throws, and you bring the house. I mean, that is just a brain-dead, stupid, stupid blitz, and the Bills paid for it. And then special teams. I mean, <laughs> there's not a team in the history, I think, in the NFL that seems to spend more money 
in roster spots, in resources, on special teams. I mean, this is a team, and I said this jokingly, but seriously, it feels like they would cut a healthy Matt Milano or Stefan Diggs if that's what it took to get Saran Neal or fucking Tyler Matekovic on this roster. I mean, it's, it's infuriating to me, and I've always hated it. And then again, brain feces. Brain, oh, I, can't, I can't even talk right now when it comes to special teams because it, it annoys me so much as, as I'm looking at my notes. Like throughout this whole game, and, and I'm not even talking about the end of the game yet, but like Marvin Mims, the rookie, you know how dangerous he is. You saw him bust a couple, and Sam Martin is still punting to him. I mean, what is that? But that's on special teams, man. That's on Matthew Smiley. That's on the player. And then at the end of the game, um, the 12, 12 guys on the field. So at the end of the first half, the, um, kind of the same thing happened. And Sean McDermott talked about this. Denver stayed on the field at the end of the first half and got a field goal. The Bills defense stayed on the field. This time, the defense came off and the field goal block unit came onto the field. The problem is nobody communicated that to Leonard Floyd. The Bills ended up with 12 people. And if you were wondering, by the way, and I watched the film, watched that play, the play after, and all the other kicks that Denver had during the game, it was Leonard Floyd. Leonard Floyd was the 12th guy. He didn't come off the field. And uh, that's why Denver got two cracks at the ball or at the kick and why they uh, ultimately won the game. That's a fire. You, you, you want to you talk about the word or the term fireable offense. If that's not a fireable offense for Matthew Smiley, what is? What is? And the Bills lose the game because of that play, literally. You know, you could talk about the four turnovers. You could talk about the lack of creativity on offense. You could talk about the, the jailhouse blitz that didn't work. You could talk about a million different things. End of the day, if you're just smart enough to make sure that, or you communicate enough to your team that a field goal block is out, defense comes off, you win the football game. You live the fight another day, literally. And they couldn't even do that. So again, is that Ken Dorsey's fault? There's so many factors, so many factors. And uh, I don't know, you know, when it comes to Leonard Floyd, by the way, I love Leonard Floyd. He has been a big bright spot for the Bills this season. I kind of, I mean, I'm not in his head and I don't know, I wasn't there. So I, I don't want to, you know, speculate too much. My, my gut tells me based on watching the game film that he thought the defense was supposed to stay out there like they did at the end of the first half. And that's why it didn't come off until he realized it was too late. And then I think he was just hoping that the, the refs wouldn't see that there were 12 guys. That, that That's what my gut tells me. But anyway, absolutely fireable offense. Um, you know, earlier I talked about Josh Allen too, when it comes to Ken Dorsey. I don't, I don't think you can even debate, at least right now, you can't even debate if Josh Allen has regressed because the answer is yes. It's the, it's the finding out why he's regressed from over the last two years. That's the mystery right now. Is it coaching? Is it Ken Dorsey? Is it Sean McDermott having too much influence on Ken Dorsey? Is it Josh being in his own head too much? Because the numbers ain't lying. 11 interceptions this year. He leads the NFL. He's had 71 interceptions since coming into the league. That leads the NFL back in 2018. He's owned an interception in six straight games. To me, that's crazy. And maybe the scariest part is at least most of these interceptions, that first one was completely on Gabe Davis. But that second one near the end of the first half, that was 100% on Josh and nobody else. 
And that's something we've been seeing way too much of uh, this year. So I don't know. We're, we're seeing the mistakes on the field. It doesn't seem like, I don't know if he's getting greedy. It does seem like watching film at times, at least anyway, he's not taking what the defense gives him. He's trying to force it, trying to make something happen. And he's paying for it with really, uh, really ugly interceptions. So that's the physical part of it. What I hate seeing, and this goes all the way back to the Jets game, the opener. It's like he, I'm seeing more wallowing from Josh Allen. I'm seeing more sulking from Josh Allen, especially on the bench after a mistake. Like, where's the coach? Where was Ken Dorsey? Where's Sean McDermott? Where's Joe Brady? Get in this dude's face. Having an animated discussion with him. Keeping him up. Tell him something. I don't know. It just feels like Josh fucks up, makes a mistake, goes to the sideline, puts out a hat, sits there most of the time by himself. Just looking into space. There's just something that feels off this year about Josh Allen. On the field, on the sidelines, even in the presser, his like his his answers just feel like they're less animated, much more direct, much more shorter, some sometimes much more testy. You know, a couple of weeks ago, he even talked about you know in, in defense of Ken Dorsey, kind of making fun of fans, taking a little bit of a jab at fans, a little bit armchair fans, a little condescending, man. It's um. I don't know. I think it's fair. It's fair at this point to at least start asking if to some extent that maybe the stardom, you know, that comes with being an elite quarterback and a, and a good looking dude who is a, a Hollywood guy in a way with the commercials and, and stuff like that. If that's affected him, he's even a little tiny bit here, man. Um, You know, the celebrity, uh, the commercials, the, the Hollywood actress, the Madden cover this year. There's just it's fair to ask if the focus and the study has been at least somewhat compromised. And I ain't saying, look, I'm not saying Josh Allen's a star now and he don't give a shit about the Bills. I'm not saying that. You ever watch Major League Two when uh Wild Day Ricky Vaughn goes a Hollywood media corporate guy? And that, that, that's not Josh. Josh still deeply cares. I'm sure Josh is still working his ass off. I get that. I'm not suggesting, so we're clear. I'm not suggesting that Josh don't give a shit that he only cares about being a star. That's not what I'm saying, man. I'm not. But don't tell me you don't see some cases, including sports, where at least to some extent, you know, being a superstar, being that superstardom, that fame, it, it, it gets to some people a little bit uh, more than others. Oh, I don't know. But what I do know is this. We're looking at a quarterback right now with Josh Allen who's looked despondent at times. It, it just doesn't look like he's having any fun on the football field. It's blatantly noticeable, and something has changed mentally. It just, it just something is off with Josh Allen, and that's as it owes. And something is off with with his mindset, with his peace of mind. Um, I don't want to say off the field because I don't know the first thing about him off the field, but certainly on the sidelines, on the bench. And in the media rooms on the podium, no question about it. Uh, a couple other things, not maybe quite as big, that would lead to a, a, a firing and in-season firing of a coach. But things that haven't helped this football team. One other thing that comes to mind is Vaughn Miller, and I'm just gonna say it, man. It, it's tough. How like with Sean McDermott or Eric Washington, whoever is in charge of getting your defensive ends out there for how many reps they see and when they play. How do you balance getting your your big time 
priority free agent signing from last year, a guy you're paying a shitload of money to, a guy that is coming back from a torn ACL, a guy that financially you're committed to, not just for this year, but also for next year. You can't cut Vaughn Miller financially, not going to work. So how do you balance trying to get him right, get him his reps and get him out there and wait for him to turn the corner versus what you, the, the, the Von Miller that we're seeing that quite frankly, to me, in my opinion, is hurting the football team. Six weeks now, he's been back. And for six weeks, Von Miller has given him nothing. Given him nothing. There's not, maybe a single noteworthy play other than one game, I can't remember, it was a couple of weeks ago. He he got his uh he got the ankle of some quarterback as he was throwing the ball. It wasn't a sack, but it was close to being a sack. That aside, name me a single noteworthy play that Vaughn Miller has played or made in six games. I cannot think of one. Can't. Hurting the football team, he's not helping. This I do put on Sean McDermott, not him, because it's not ball making the defensive calls out there. But I noticed in the fourth quarter, second last drive, I think it was, it's third and 10. Russ Wilson drops back to pass. The Bills bring a blitz. Can't remember who it was. I think they blitzed Terrell Bernard. And Vaughn Miller drops in the coverage. And he's responsible for the middle of the football field in an area that Jerry Judy catches the ball and easily gets a first out. I'm like, are you fucking serious? You're trying to work Vaughn Miller back. And when it's third down, and the one thing Vaughn Miller can do, is get to a quarterback throughout his career, you're dropping him in the pass coverage. Again, this is Sean McDermott. Unbelievable. He also got beat, set in the edge again for a run against Denver that went for a first down. Of course, the week before in Cincinnati, that critical third down, for some damn reason, Sean McDermott, again, who I just said this a half hour ago, seems to freeze in the biggest moments. Instead of having Greg Rousseau and A.J. Epines out there at end, He's got Vaughn Miller on a third and three when it's very likely Cincinnati's going to run it. They do. They run it right at Vaughn Miller. He gets caught inside. Joe Mixon gets around him. First down, bam, game over on Vaughn Miller, who shouldn't have been out there. And that's my point. You know, I'd argue right now that Vaughn Miller doesn't deserve these reps because Vaughn Miller is not one of the best five or even six defensive ends on this team right now. I mean, Greg Rizzo, H.J. Vanessa, Leonard Floyd, don't even talk to me. That's not even a comparison right now. I think Shaq Lawson is better because he can play the run better and he's healthier. And I would even argue that Kingsley Jonathan has a better chance of making an impactful, noteworthy play at this point than Vaughn Miller does. But yet, Vaughn Miller continues to get these reps. Only 21 against the Broncos. They didn't play in the fourth, uh, third last drive, whatever it was. I mentioned a third and 10 where Vaughn dropped in the pass covers. And now I think about it, it was in the third quarter because Vaughn Miller didn't even play most of uh, the fourth quarter. But you get my point. And that's a decision Sean McDermott's allowing. And it's a tough, and to be fair, it's a tough call because you got so much invested in Vaughn Miller and you want to see him get back because a healthy 100% Vaughn Miller, the pre-ACL Vaughn Miller, is, you know, he's the guy who will bring down a quarterback to close out a game. Something we just talked about, the Bills defense, has been unable to do time and time again this season. Vaughn Miller has the ability to do that, but he's not doing it. And I don't know if he's going to do it this year. I don't think he's going to get to that point this year. And it's getting to a, a stage of the season where I feel like give the other guys the reps because there's a better chance that one of them uh, will make a play. Look, bottom line here, we're going to wrap up. 
This is just a really flawed football team. Really flawed team right now. And they're not just flawed, they're they're very susceptible to self-inflicted wounds. And that's what it comes down to because you know, at the end of the day, they're five and five. And for as shitty as they played, for all the offensive issues, for the special team issues, for the defensive issues, for Christ's sake, if you just make one or two plays and don't blow it, literally just don't blow it, you beat the Jets, you beat the Broncos, you're seven and three after 10 games, and you're like, all right, we got a lot of shit to figure out, but you know what? We're seven and three. But they've blown it. Self-inflicted wounds. And for short-term and potentially long-term, above all else, I'm not sure that we're ever going to see the best version again of Josh Allen and this offense as long as Sean McDermott is the head coach. And I've gotten myself to that point because I just think he's not the right guy for Josh Allen. What made Josh Allen the right guy with McDermott was Brian Dable and Brian Dable's ability to stand up to Sean McDermott. And I don't think as long as Sean McDermott is in power, he's going to hire another offensive coordinator with that mindset again, where Sean McDermott can't better control things. And this is just a team. And I know you don't want to hear it, but they're going in the wrong direction. You know, you go back to 2020, they make it to the AFC championship game. 2021, they lose the most heartbreaking way possible, 13 seconds in Kansas City. If they don't fuck that up, they're probably going to the Super Bowl. Worst case, they're in the AFC championship game for second year. Last year, the injuries, the weather, tomorrow, all that shit. They get smacked at home in the playoffs. Not a close game. They get blown out. Season ends. And now you got 2023 where it certainly looks like they're missing the playoffs. I mean, come on. We, we should not be talking about the playoffs right now when it comes to uh, the Buffalo Bills. So if you keep your eyes open here and you keep your mind open to what's going on, this is a football team that's going in the wrong way. Uh, you know, you, you look at the conference and you got, you got Pat Mahomes and you got Joe Burrow. They're young. They're studs. They ain't going nowhere. Those teams are going to be around. You got a kid like C.J. Stroud that looks like a world beater as a rookie. He's literally already playing his way into an MVP conversation. Hughes is on the come up. It's a tough conference, man. It's a tough conference. So this might not even just be you know, a one-year blip. If you think the only thing the Bills need to do is fire Ken Dorsey, promote Brady, or get another OC, that Sean McDermott will have a role in with this offense. And you think that everything's going to be all right just because you got rid of Ken Dorsey? I think you got another thing coming. I think the issues are deeper with this team. I think you need to find them out. Me, personally, I think the biggest issue is Sean McDermott. And I know there's a lot of people out there right now who are calling for his head. And there's a lot of people right out there right now who think that Sean McDermott, if the Bills miss the playoffs, realistically could get fired. I'm here to tell you, I would be floored and stunned if that happens. Stunned. Two reasons. Three reasons. Number one, Terry Bagul ain't going to be that guy. He's a very hands-off owner. Number two, and this is in fairness to Sean McDermott, this is a team that's won a lot of games. They made the playoffs for what, 2019, 20, 21, 22? They've, they've made the playoffs consistently. They've won a lot of games. So if you win a lot of games and you have one year where you go maybe eight and nine, maybe even seven and 10, you miss the playoffs, I don't think that one season 
is going to be enough for Terry Bagula to pull the trigger. I just don't. And on top of all that, he just got a fat media extension during last offseason. So I don't think he would fire him regardless of the extension. But now you give him an extension and, and Terry Bagula's got to eat all that money. I just don't see it happening. So they're going to have to figure this out somehow. If you want to hold on to some form, some semblance of hope, I guess it starts with the Jets. And then you better find a way to, to win one or two games that the Bills are clearly going to be an underdog in to even start thinking about uh, the playoffs again. Anyway, all right, that's going to do it for this show. Like I said, I'm going to be back tomorrow. I think we're going to have our weekly film study or PFF and PFF grades analysis. I, you know, to be honest with you, though, kind of feel like that comes down to if, quite frankly, I'm sick of talking about uh, this team. But I am looking forward to Thursday night for Friday's podcast. Chad D. Diminisis, live, Imperial Pizza. If you happen to live in the South Buffalo area, make sure you come out. We're doing a show around 8 o'clock. Can't make it there live. Uh, it'll be live streamed, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all that fun stuff. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. I can't believe fucking Tage Thompson got hurt in a significant one, too. Unreal. Talk to you later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.